All right, glad you're with us. Literally, my voice today is going to go in and out like a yo-yo. It's been, uh, like, at times it's worse than others. It sounds worse than I feel, but it, uh, at times is like, painful. And I just spent the last, like, seven minutes trying to yell, because when I yell, it opens it up a little bit. So if it sounds scratchy, horrible, terrible all day long, I apologize in advance. Um, but it, it, it's one of those things, it, it's weird. But the way my vocal cords work are so weird. Because it sort of opens and then it closes. When it closes, you'll hear it. And in the course of the last two hours, it's opened and closed maybe seven or eight times. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You know, I've never had, I've never been to a, uh, you know, they have uh, Manhattan eye, ears, nose, and throat. I have never had my vocal cords looked at. You think you would do that if you're in this business as long as I've been. I just figure, why bother? Um... And my butt, you know who had to get, he had a like a cyst on his vocal cords was our buddy, the inventor of the year, my buddy Keith. And he sounded like this for like six months. Pretty scary stuff. Uh, anyway, happy Friday. Glad you're with us. Um, just a lot to say. You know, I was getting a little pissed off yesterday because this guy that's testifying is literally, again, I heard that Mike Pompeo and and two guys whose names I've never heard of in my life called Sean Hannity and told him to stop uh, talking about um, this Maria Yankovic, whatever her name. I don't even know the lady. You know, we went back. Linda, you went back on radio. I know on TV we went back. We found four times where the lady was mentioned in passing. One was a report were they monitoring our social media or something like that? And I asked John Solomon about that. And this never, what they're saying never happened. I never got a phone call. She was, I, nobody ever said, we need you to go after this woman. It was never, to me, any part of the story. To me, Ukraine was simple. It was about no experience hunter, zero experience, and it was quid pro quo Joe which we're going to get T-shirts and bumper stickers made up. Uh, I got a markup of them Oh, today. dude, can I talk about that real quick? Do you mind? I mean, you need a break anyway, right? Your voice is like dying and stuff. No, because when you stop me from talking is when it's going to get worse. But go ahead. You just take over. Oh, thanks. You're the best. So listen, everybody, we got these oh, T-shirts. They're called uh, Quid Pro Quo Joe. They're with our friends. Hashtag. Quid, hashtag. Yeah, hash, I'm so sorry, boss. Hashtag. Did you put and, it up uh, yet? They're up. They're, they're at the Nine Line store. You can go to Nine Line and you can check them out. They are amazing. They're so funny, dude. And it's just those nice, are our military partners. These guys. are our military partners. We started a store with them. We're going to talk about that more on Veterans Day. But it's NineLineApparel.com. These shirts are awesome. I encourage everybody awesome. to go out and get one. You're going to be supporting a veteran, and you get to make fun of Joe Biden. So there you go. All right. So the bottom line is, and it all got started with this ambassador Maria Yankovic. Is it Yankovic? Marie Yovanovitch. Yovanovitch. There you go. Okay. I don't care about her, but she's there like complaining and whining that there's some vast right wing conspiracy. And I'm a part of, um, I guess, to go after. Now, there has been and it, it took me the last 24 hours to be very blunt to piece together how it is that my name even got involved in this thing, because she brought it up when she was testifying uh, before the the compromised, corrupt coward congenital liar and his secret soviet style witch hunt uh which is the ukrainian impeachment coup attempt and it's like okay so she apparently thinks 
that I guess because there was reporting on her that got mentioned. I think we found one time that Joe and Victoria mentioned her in passing, like, uh oh, she may be in trouble. Um, another time, I think Rudy did, and John Solomon had done a report. Now, now that everyone's saying that uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, why would Secretary of State Mike Pompeo ever pick up a phone and call me and say either what you're reporting is true or <clears throat> you need to stop? Uh, it's dumb because no Secretary of State would ever do that. I happen to be very fond of Mike Pompeo, but... I don't talk to Mike Pompeo or have that much access. I mean, I'll talk to him if I see him. Um, I think he's doing a great job. I think he's been a great addition to everything in the president's cabinet. I think he's doing a great job as secretary of state. I think he did a great job as CIA director. Uh, I happen to know a lot about Gina Haspel that would make every American that loves this country and cares about our safety and security really proud of what a courageous woman she is post 9-11 but I probably am not allowed to tell those stories because it's the CIA, but she's she's a patriot and a hero in a lot of ways. So anyway, <clears throat> now that they pissed me off, now I am paying attention. And what it came down to is when we went back and we started looking for, okay, well, we didn't barely talked about this lady. And we certainly weren't talked to by anybody in the State Department. And why is my name? I don't know anybody. I've never talked to anybody in Ukraine. That Ukraine has never been my thing except for zero experience Hunter being paid millions with, again, no experience. And then Joe Biden, you know, admitting on tape, you know, quid pro quo. You get the billion, you fire the prosecutor. He had been warned ahead of time. You don't get the billion if you don't fire the prosecutor and you got six hours. To me, that is like stunning. It is the very thing that they're claiming that Donald Trump is guilty of. And yet the transcript proves just the opposite. So what it really came down to, I guess, John Solomon had done an interview with this Ukrainian, I guess what the equivalent general um, what is it? What is his title? General something. He's a general Ge- prosecutor. General prosecutor would be the equivalent of our attorney general in the U.S., right? That would be yes, for the sir. whole country. That like is correct. That He's would the be boss. the equivalent of Bill Barr yes, in the sir. United States. Anyway, so John Solomon had been digging. Now, remember, there was Ukraine election and interference on behalf of Hillary. We know this is now fa- these are facts that a Ukrainian judge actually determined that Ukraine had interfered, foreign election interference, in in 2016 on behalf of Hillary Clinton and the DNC. We know Politico wrote about it, and I cited this article ad nauseum, January 11, 2017. Okay, we know that happened. Then we also, in that article, they point out how a DNC contractor that would be working on behalf of Hillary in 2016 on behalf of the DNC actually went to the Ukrainian embassy and was colluding it seems according to Politico to get dirt on Donald Trump and Trump associates like Paul Manafort that's where I guess all the business dealings Manafort did Again, this is more information that I really give a rip about. I don't it's never been my issue. We've never made a big deal about it. Anyway, but it does matter. I mean, we did spend almost three years talking about how bad foreign election interference is. 
and Ukraine wanted to give us evidence of their interference to help Hillary Clinton. And Politico even points out, and they were successful because that's where they got the dirt on Manafort that got Manafort fired. And then that led to where, you know, what happened to him later in this process. But, you know, for them to be pissed off at me because John Solomon interviewed the general prosecutor at the time, this guy's name is Lutsenko, and he's on tape saying to Solomon, now I know where the sensitivity comes in. Sensitivity comes in is, and by the way, she, she has no right to even be mad at Solomon because Solomon did an interview with the general counsel of Ukraine. There was election interference on Hillary's behalf. Now, she also was an Obama ambassador, not a Trump ambassador. And when John Solomon is interviewing the guy, he's the one that says that that lady, whatever her name is, that mentioned my name and said that I got a call from Mike Pompeo. Well, she's the one that is uh, all upset that it came up, frankly, in passing. But now I'm going to highlight it. Now you've made me want to highlight this. Because you guys are lying. When you say Sean Hannity got a call and you say Sean Hannity was doing this, this and you lie about me, I'll just I'll I'll now tell the truth about you. So anyway, so this general prosecutor, well, listen to the Q&A with him and John Solomon. It is true that I had some uh, difficult personal relationship with the Miss Ambassador. Unfortunately, from the first meeting with the U.S. ambassador in Kiev, Miss Ambassador gave me a list of people whom we should not uh, prosecute. All right. Now, to be fair, now I always give, and we talk about this at length, we give due process, the presumption of innocence, something Democrats never give Donald Trump or any conservative. I have no idea. Let me be upfront. Zero clue because I don't know anybody in Ukraine, although everything I'm finding out about Ukraine just reeks of nothing but nonstop corruption. Um, anyway, he said that. She says that didn't happen. Now everybody that is under oath, interestingly, is saying that he has since disavowed those comments. But yet there was, what did we find this piece by Solomon in October of this year? And he says he interviewed the guy again, and the guy said he stands by it. I have no idea. To be very, very blunt here, if any of this is true, not true, um, why the guy would have said it, what the politics were that are involved, it's a serious charge that he's leveling at the former ambassador. But I think what she's trying to get at is somehow that people were trying to get her fired that support Donald Trump. Uh, I was not one of them. I don't even know who the hell you are. And the fact that your name came up in passing four times on my show uh, doesn't mean that I really give a rip about you today. Except I want you and everybody else to stop telling lies that I got phone calls that I never got or that there was this dominant coverage of you when there wasn't. And if you have an issue with what the general prosecutor of Ukraine said about you, take it up with him. Go sue him if he's if it's if if you believe he's lying about you and it's libel, go sue the guy. Um, but the guy said it, it was reported, and now we have a lot of questions because of all of this nonsense with Ukraine. Because 
what we've discovered through the Freedom of Information Act request with John Solomon, we're finding out a lot more that happened. Because there's a reason why we're saying, well, why would they pay zero experience hunter money? That it makes no sense, right? And a lot of countries were paying. Well, okay, we really know why, but we act like we don't. They want to buy favor. Okay, so why would a vice president quid pro quo a country fire this guy? You get the billion. You don't fire him. You don't get the billion. Okay, that doesn't make sense either, except it does begin to make sense when you look at it through this prism. And the prism is pretty simple. Now that we know from the Freedom of Information Act request that the reps for that Burisma holding company that was paying millions to Hunter with zero experience, yeah, they were using Hunter's name because we now have the State Department documents. And the State Department documents show that they were asking the Obama administration uh, for certain little favors to stop looking into them uh, and by the way, we have prominent Americans that are with us. Uh, Hunter Biden sits on our board. So now it makes sense to me anyway, because they wanted to use the Biden name to buy their way out of whatever trouble they might or might not have been in. Uh, otherwise, why would they mention Hunter Biden? All right. Do you think did I make that clear enough, Linda? I think I did. Right. Because I don't know. I thought well, it was shake. very clear. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, but these people are saying stuff. They're just lying. They, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, wow. Now, it, does, it shouldn't shock me because this whole thing is run by the compromised, corrupt coward who won't come on this show, the congenital liar Schiff. Well, let's John see. Hannon, maybe the next T-shirt's one about Shifty Schiff. Maybe we, the compromised, corrupt coward. That's not going to fit on one shirt. Liar. No, that's way too much. Forget about it. It's a mouthful, I'll tell you that, especially with the it's bad like five throat. shirts. Going to have to make a onesie of that. You know, the other thing that is uh, interesting in all of this to me is that, you know, I've never seen such duplicity in my life. It is very hard, and I think a lot of you feel the same way because we're, we're, we're frustrated. We're waiting for the IG report. We're waiting for the Durham report. We need this report. You know, and then it's every day a media bludgeoning the president. But it's very hard to understand how they can claim that they care about foreign election interference, Russian interference, but not the dirty Russian dossier. That's really hard for me to wrap my mind around because it's such breathtaking hypocrisy or obstruction of justice and ignore Hillary's subpoena and emails issue. Or foreign interference in our election again, but not Ukraine and a DNC operative meeting a Ukraine meeting in the Ukrainian embassy and a Ukrainian court decision. How do you how do they live with themselves or that you got Hunter zero experience, millions of dollars and dad is warned that the prosecutor is investigating him demands he gets fired in six hours or else they don't get a billion dollars fire him you get a billion quid pro quo joe how do they not how do they bifurcate their brains the way they do at 25 uh till the top of the hour 800-941 sean and my voice holds up if you want to be a part of the program um uh it's uh, <laughs> I, I don't think there's anybody that would put me to sleep more than Mayor Bloomberg. I, I mean, honestly, I just, is this what now that, 
He is the the staunchest anti-Second Amendment person I know, spends a ton of money in campaigns for for people that support these insane and radical uh, gun laws. Um, I'm trying to think what state that they think he can win. It's not going to be Pennsylvania with that position on guns. And, you know, the nanny state taking away sugary drinks and, you know, regulating and banning trans fats and uh, with fruit and vegetable vendors. Um, That's nobody cares. Nobody wants to be told what to eat, what to drink and how to live or banning trans fats, smoking. You know what? If somebody wants to open a bar or restaurant and they want to allow smoking, let them do it. And if you don't want to go to their bar or restaurant, don't go. I, I mean, w- whatever happened to the idea? You know idea? what, Sean? I got to say, I completely agree with you. Let me tell you why. Because this is, why? I hate smoking with all my heart. All kinds of smoking. Potheads, regular smoking. Do what you want. But when I have to smell it, I get very angry. And here's why. Because now all these people are on the street. They're on the street and they're blocking up the street and they're smoking. So you got these little pockets of, you know, cancer that you got to walk through because these people decided they want to do it on the sidewalk. Well, you know why? Because you took away all the places they could do it inside. You can't smoke inside anywhere now. So I think that there should be designated places where they can go inside and they can all be together. You know, when we were in Europe and we went to Germany, they had a smoker's lounge. It reeked for miles away. But you know what? It smelled a lot worse in there and they kept it in there. I was very happy about that. That's what you know, we there, there, I think there's like two grandfathered places in New York, the Grand Havana Room, which I was invited to be a guest at once or twice. And um, and it's, by the way, you walk in the building and you could smell the cigar smoke. The food right, but is it's actually a choice. very good. But it's, but it's a, a choice. choice. Yeah, so if somebody wants to open a bar and let people smoke, okay, don't go to that bar if you don't like the smell. I don't like the smell of smoke. That's why I like Jewel, Jewel so much. And they're trying to ban Jewel everywhere. Um, and most of those cases, when you actually dig into and read it, you know, Jewel has has purposefully not advertised towards kids. Just the opposite, they advertise to people as an alternative to smoking cigarettes and with nicotine and olive oil. But what happens is, is I, you know, everybody, all this. Look, I know I'm libertarian. I guess if you want to be stupid and smoke pot, go ahead. But I've never met somebody really smart, intelligent that I respect that works hard that would smoke that crap. And it's gotten they've gotten so good at making it so strong that they they extract these um, these oils that get people high. They'll put it in a cartridge like that looks like a jewel cartridge. And then to get the the proper viscosity, they put all these chemicals in it that are bad for your lungs and are causing people respiratory problems. Then they put more chemicals in it bad for your lungs and cause respiratory problems to get the exact color that they want. I mean, that's really the whole issue behind that. Um, in my thing. Anyway, uh, oh, you wanted to say something. Go ahead. I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt Yeah, I'm you. sorry, boss. No, this is your show. You know, I mean, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. This is the Sean Hannity show, and I'm grateful. Sean Hannity show the with Sean a Sean Hannity, Hannity show. shot voice. Listen, okay, Listen, you're dying, so it just happened. I'm not dying. It just sounds worse than it is. Listen, I coughed on everybody last week, and unfortunately, you and Blair got it the worst, so my apologies. But Thanks a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a little early Christmas present. So, I just want to remind everybody, you know, we were talking earlier this week with Pete Hegseth and Don Brown. My sister-in-law, Lauren, who you all know from the show. And we've been trying really, really hard to help some of these wrongly imprisoned soldiers. And it's Veterans Day on Monday. 
You could do something this weekend. You can call, you know, encourage our president. You know, he's doing the right thing. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to stand up for these wrongfully imprisoned soldiers. So, you know, call the White House switchboard. Be respectful. 202, How many years? Hold on, 202-456-1414, 202-456-1414. Be it's respectful. It's not the White House. You, That's the switchboard number. You got to tell Congress. You got to tell Congress. No, we need to tell the president because it's in president the president's hands. When and is he is, hold on, my friend. So the Secretary of Defense came aye, 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 And the aye. Secretary of Defense is urging President Trump not to intervene. So we need the American people to get behind our president who's already leading the fight and keep fighting for these people. Clint Lorenz, Matt Goldstein, Eddie Gallagher. These guys are putting their life on the line. We can't Monday morning quarterback on what they're doing on the field. It's not right. And we need How to How many years have men. we been following the Clint Lorenz Over case? five years. It's going on seven. Forget okay. About it. And the president did the right thing. Always the president does the right thing. It's the people around him who are not allowing him to do what he is allowed to do, what he has the right to do as the president of this great country. And on Veterans Day, there's no greater honor we could have than to free these men. I agree. All right, I'm done. Thank you. The rules of engagement that Obama and company put on our military, it's unconscionable. It's like putting handcuffs on our military guys. And, you know, here they have a split second to decide, uh uh-oh, is that guy here to kill us or not? If they make a wrong decision, then they want to try these guys and put them in jail. It's unbelievable. You and Sean, honestly, a lot of credit to you for putting your neck out there as usual right, first. A lot of credit to Pete Hegseth <laughs> for putting his neck out there. You guys are awesome. All right, great. Listen, Pete's been great. We've all, every, You too, you went down there with Lauren. Here's the thing, though. The reason we were able to beat the caliphate in Syria that grew to the extent, remember, Obama's red line, they crossed it, he did nothing. Trump took off the handcuffs. The rules of engagement went away. I was saying this to Lindsey Graham in a private conversation. I don't think he'd give a rip if we brought it public. I said, Lindsey, he's the one that beat the caliphate. He's the one that got Baghdadi and the next six guys in, in line. And I know that you, you want intelligence on the ground, but you got to remember if the fear is that the caliphate's going to pop its ugly head back up again, uh, what makes you think Trump's not going to go back and bomb the crap out of him and win again? You know, it's I, I, I we have got to rethink war in this country because we start wars, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. They get politicized by these idiots in Washington. We have kids fight, bleed, die, come back disfigured without arms and legs. And we say, never mind. And that's why the one thing that I, I know it, it raises the budget deficit. Reagan had to do the same thing. When he took over for Jimmy Carter, there's like this, you know, narrow gap of vulnerability because, you know, the the people like Carter or Obama, they don't want to fund the military to the extent that it needs to be funded. But we need the next generation of weaponry. So we don't have to send our national treasure to these foreign countries and these long entanglements. I'd rather have offensive defensive weapons where we press buttons. And we could do it in Tampa, Florida. Here, here. Well said. That's it. Because if we're not going to support them, don't ask these guys to get their legs blown off or, or, or kids won't grow up with their mom and dad anymore and then say, never mind, we can't do it. It's, it's unconscionable. So that is, I know, what they're working on. By the way, Jim Jordan now has officially moved to the impeachment committee, uh, which I think was a good move by the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. And he's the oversight ranking member, um, is going to serve on the Intelligence Committee during the impeachment proceedings. 
yeah, they hate Jim Jordan because Jim Jordan's effective. So, you know, they're already smearing Jordan because they're so angry that that they did it. I mean, these people are so repulsive and repugnant, it's unbelievable. Schiff had an impeachment witness end up implicating Hunter Biden. I thought it was bad. First, Schiff, you know, he's compromised, shouldn't be running anything. He's corrupt. We know that. Uh, We know he's a coward, won't come on this show, and a congenital liar who lied for three years about evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. Okay, very interesting, except whatever. Um, Yeah, I saw that. Um, Anyway, so despite his best efforts to keep a lid on, first he identifies the whistleblower. It was in the document. Whoopsie-daisy. Uh, yeah, that was bad. And then he's lying, saying he doesn't know the whistleblower. We know there was contact with his office in the whistleblower, non-whistleblower, hearsay whistleblower. So anyway, the Obama administration allowed uh, quid pro quo Joe, son, Hunter, to continue working for Burisma even after learning that Burisma and their owner were corrupt. According to a top U.S. State Department official, this guy George Kent, who also, Sean Hannity got a call from Mike Pompeo or these two other people that Sean Hannity never heard. No, I didn't. And by the way, I accept your apology, Mr. Kent. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Um, but anyway, in 2014, the U.S. Uh, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in our taxpayer money on assisting the investigation into corrupt activities linked to the company paying zero experience Hunter all that money. And during the closed-door session, October 15th, Kent told House impeachment investigators, oh, he raised concerns about Biden's lucrative position. First time I was in Ukraine as acting deputy chief of mission in the period mid-January, mid-February 2015, subsequent to me going into the, the deputy prosecutor general on February 3rd, demanding who took the bribe, how much it was to shut the case Against so-and-so, I became aware that Hunter Biden was on the board. Well, we know that from John Solomon's reporting. Because John Solomon, anyway, uh, was pointing out that the State Department documents he got from the Freedom of Information Act request, that those documents, they were using Hunter's name. Anyway, Chad Pergram is back with us, a friend of our program. He's all things, you know, uh, we call it the Hitchhiker's Guide to Everything in Washington, D.C. Chad, how are you? Sorry my voice is shot. That's all right. After Good afternoon. Uh, my voice is a little shot, too, running around here and uh, going through these transcripts all afternoon as well. Yeah, by the way, did my name come up again? Because that would be the third time. Uh, you know what? That you know, To be honest with you, Sean, uh, I have not gone through all hundreds upon hundreds of pages here. There were 455 oh. pages in one. I've not seen it. But that doesn't mean it's not out there. I, you know, every night you go home, it's like reading uh, Tale of Two Cities and Nicholas Nickleby back-to-back to go through these transcripts. Well, you know, by the way, just so you know, for your edification, and I know you follow all things, uh, I never got a call from Mike Pompeo. I never got a call from the two other people whose names I'd never heard of. Maybe you probably know them because you know everybody there. And the third thing I'd say is, you know, we went back and looked at the transcripts the former ambassador lady, Maria, whatever her name is. Ivanovich. Yeah, was mentioned like four times in passing. And John Solomon actually had a video interview of this guy, the general, what, counsel, like our AG, uh, Lutsenko, the prosecutor general. 
And he's the one that said the ambassador gave him a list of names of people not to prosecute. Now that they want to talk about me and lie about me, I might as well get deeper into the story because it never was my story with Ukraine. My story was zero experience hunter and quid pro quo Joe. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, so what we got here today is, as we say, are these two transcripts from uh, Alexander Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel, who was on the NSC staff here. And he's significant because he was actually on the telephone call between President Trump and the Ukrainian leader Zelensky. And he comes off of the telephone call and is very worried about how they handled the call, about the fact that they locked it down, uh, that it wasn't a complete transcript that was released from the telephone call, and that there was targeting, uh, you know, from his perspective of the Bidens. He also then started to see in his uh, deposition here uh, what he said unusual and interesting queries regarding OMB. Uh, which is the Office of Management and Budget, about potentially holding up the aid there. Now, Fiona Hill, she has left. She was a Russia advisor there. And there are two things that I found very interesting where she flags her interactions with John Bolton, the former national security advisor. Number one, she was concerned about them sidelining Marie Ivanovich, uh, the former ambassador to Ukraine. And she says that Bolton accused uh, Gordon Sondland, the ambassador of the European Union, and Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff, who did not come for a deposition as he was scheduled to today, of cooking up what was termed in Bolton's words here as a drug deal to get the Bidens. Number two said that Bolton and Giuliani, uh, Bolton said that Rudolph Giuliani was a, quote, hand grenade. So those are a couple of the, the facts, uh, or at least her, her interpretations that came out there. And again, I think that, that that's important because it's one thing to have, you know, comments from Vinman and his interpretations of the phone call. But here, you know, with, with Hill, even though this is interesting, these are interesting remarks, you know, you're two steps removed. It's her, it's her quoting something that Bolton said. So that's uh, going to be key looking at this as well. The other interesting thing, and you alluded to this a minute ago, is this move of Jim Jordan, the Republican congressman from Ohio, to the Intelligence Committee. Uh, He's not a member of that. What Republicans are trying to do is get their best team on the field. They think Jim Jordan is an ardent defender of the president, and they had to approve this on the House floor. They did that during a brief pro forma session today. I should point out that because the Intelligence Committee is what we call here, Sean, a select committee, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has to approve the membership. And I'm told that she, you know, she obviously let this go through, so she's fine with that. But then we've gotten two interesting statements that have come out. Uh, there have been these allegations that were made about what Jim Jordan may have known when he was an assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State back in the 1990s. And, and, and this is emblematic of now that we're getting deeper into impeachment, how the Democrats and, frankly, the Republicans, everybody's throwing the, the dirtiest possible mud at one another. A Democratic aide said about Jordan moving to the Intelligence Committee, maybe this is why Pelosi let it go through, President Trump wanted somebody who would cover up and defend his behavior from his superiors, no matter how horrifying it is, Jim Jordan has the resume. And now, you know, this whole Jim Jordan, Ohio State story first surfaced in July of last year, and you have a Jordan spokesman returning fire. Right, it just Congress shows you how never what, saw it, any sort of sexual abuse when he was at Ohio State. It's just this is how ugly what a bunch of smear merchants these people are. If you're going to say that, um, all right. So um, I'm just running out of time, Chad. Thank you. You're uh, amazing. The stuff you do, but it's got to be fun for you to read. Oh, my buddy Sean Hannity's in here. Let me talk to Sean. <laughs> I you have I a, take ex- notes when I see you come up in the transcript. Oh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. I mean, I don't even know these people. It's unbelievable. They make they just make crap up as they go. It is true that I had some uh, 
difficult personal relationship with the Miss Ambassador. Unfortunately, from the first meeting with the U.S. Ambassador in Kiev, Miss Ambassador gave me a list of people whom we should not uh, prosecute. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800 Sean, if you want to be a part of the program. You know, so it's been a mystery to me. Well, Hannity, you barely talked about this ambassador lady. Uh, we went back and checked, and her name came up about four times on Hannity, the TV show. And why is everyone saying, well, Hannity got a call from Mike Pompeo or the State Department? And I'm like, I barely remember this lady. All I know about Ukraine is quid pro quo Joe, which I know some of you. Hannity stopped saying it every second of the day, but it is the key to the whole thing. Anyway, long story short. So I got a look. I said to Linda, go back and find out when we talked about this lady on radio and TV. We pulled up all the transcripts, mostly this woman was only mentioned in passing. It was never my focus at all. And the idea, when well, I'm like, well, okay, why was she, why was this all happening? And there it is. That is, uh, John Solomon was interviewing the, what do they call this? He's like the equivalent of Bill Barr, the attorney general. He's the general prosecutor. He's called the general prosecutor in Ukraine. He's like the top guy. And he said, and he told John Solomon that, in fact, the ambassador had given him a do not prosecute list. Now, everybody, there, well, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. OK, they say he has since taken back his claim. But we also found a John Solomon article from October. This is November where Solomon talked to this Ukrainian guy. Again, I've never talked to anybody in Ukraine ever. And John Solomon was doing his report. We were just covering it as part of our coverage of, OK, Ukrainian election interference. And the guy says, no, I stand by the story. Now, I'll be honest. I don't really give a flying rip about it, except what they've been saying about me getting called and knowing all these. I've never talked to anybody in Ukraine. And I also similarly um, know next to nothing about this woman, except her issue seems to be with the. You know, the, the lead prosecutor in Ukraine, not me. He's the one that said it. And what's John Solomon supposed to do? Not report it? No, the guy said it. He's the top. He's like the equivalent of our attorney general. Anyway, Jordan Seculo is with us, executive director, the American Center for Law and Justice. And uh, by the way, his book is out, The Next Red Wave, How Conservatives Can Beat Leftist Aggression. Uh, Greg Jarrett, his new book is out, Witch Hunt, The Story of the Greatest Mass Delusion in American Political History. You know, um, Jordan, I'll start with you on all of this. Then we'll get into the whistleblower issues because we got a lot of ground to cover in this hour. But, you know, as far as Ukraine goes, the only thing I really cared about, the only story I was really covering, and the four mentions on TV were kind of passing comments. Um, why are they so obsessed with people that reported on what the, the general counsel of Ukraine said? Well, I said this, Sean, that the Democrats, who are now called this public hearing, if you want to call it that, even though there's no cross-examination, and I have a doubt about whether they'll accept any Republican witnesses that'll be put forward on that list Saturday to Adam Schiff, but they better be careful what they wish for, because these were the hand-picked three witnesses, and one of these witnesses next week uh, is Marie Ivanovich, uh, this ambassador who, again... They have never received any kind of attention before. And I think it was George Kent. He also mentioned your broadcast. And, and George Kent, who testified, 
This is someone who was upset because he was cut out of the process and didn't like the fact that he was kind of sidelined. So he's got this grudge and, and he's kind of angry at the Trump administration because they didn't accept his policy recommendations. But this is someone who even admitted, oh, I saw all this stuff on Twitter. And then, like, in follow-up questions, he's like, I've forgotten my Twitter. Literally, he said in the transcript, I don't even know my Twitter password anymore because I don't really follow Twitter. So I, I think it's just they've never come under scrutiny. They've never been under, gotten really any attention before. So if their name popped up once, if their name was tweeted about a couple of times, and they saw that, they were like, whoa, whoa, what's happening? And this must be really serious. The truth is uh, about Marie Ivanovich. She had an opportunity to testify in that closed-door setting, and the, t- the transcript has come out, and she lied. She lied about something stupid, Sean, too. She, and, and that always, to me... Uh, uh, really causes concern, because if you lie about the stupid little things and you're trying to take down a president of the United States through impeachment, then you must be uh, having something else to hide. And why should we take anything that you say as truthful when she testifies publicly? And I'm sure that will come up. She she lied to Lee Zeldin. And Congressman Zeldin asked her an easy question about contact with House Democrats. She said yes, that a House Democrat staffer from the Foreign Affairs Committee did email her uh, and asked to meet with her uh, a couple of days after the whistleblower complaint was filed, long before any of us knew about it, but a couple of days before, uh, after it was filed. And then uh, Congressman Zeldin said, well, did you write back to her? Did you have any correspondence back? And she said, no, I referred it over to you know, the people at the, uh, in the State Department, uh, EUR, as it's called, who would make that decision. I think that would be actually George Kent. But then we found out now through, and it was reporting on Fox News, that she, in fact, did respond, but her response was, uh, hey. So she li- So when she was testifying, you're saying that she lied. She lied because she responded directly to the staffer. So she did forward along the request to meet with a congressional staffer to the appropriate people at the State Department. But she also responded to the staffer saying, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to forward this along, and I'd love to meet, catch up and chat with you. And the staffer responds, great, I hope we can do this really soon. Why would you lie about something like that? And remember, most of these witnesses, I'm sure with Marie Ivanovich, she had the opportunity to review their transcript and make corrections. So if it was just a mistake, make the correction. But if you're going to let a lie like that sit out there, why trust anything else she says? No wonder she gets removed as being the ambassador to such an important country like Ukraine. One, she was an Obama holdover, but two... Uh, so usually you would move those people along. But two, uh, when given these easy questions, which would have been a big deal, I don't even think it's not what she's it's not so much what she's covering up. It's that she's lying about things so small that why? And, and I think this it's because you know, I mean, the, the follow up question is, did you go to the meeting? Did you get approved by George Kent to go meet with the House Democrat staffer? And what did you talk about there? Did you find out? Yeah, you're well, you're, you're on to some before us. The great irony here, and let me bring it to Greg Jarrett, is, Greg, she's mentioned like four times in passing. Um, we did cover that exchange with the general prosecutor, and that was John Solomon interviewing him. I mean, he has not, he has an obligation at that point to report it. But now, now that I hear what she's upset about and blaming me when I only met, when she was only mentioned four times kind of in passing, now she's kind of pissed me off. Now I want to know the truth. Is that true, what this Ukrainian prosecutor general is saying? Now I want, I want an answer to that. And you deserve an answer to that. Look, 
She was dropping your name based on pure speculation. And then, as Jordan pointed out, she appears to have lied before Congress. Last time I checked, that's a crime. She had a chance to cure the mistake, if it was that, and didn't do so. You know, there's a standard jury instruction that's very useful here. Jurors are told if you conclude that a witness is lying about one thing, you may conclude that the witness is lying about everything. Uh, and Yovanovitch may be lying about everything, but it really doesn't matter because everything she had to say was based on her opinion and speculation and hearsay information. And frankly, Sean, that's what all of these witnesses who testified secretly and will now testify uh, publicly did. I'll give you the perfect example. George Kent's transcript was released yesterday, and he said, in relevant part, he believed there was a quid pro quo. Belief. All right, that's, that's an opinion. And it turns out it was based on triple hearsay. Did you get this from the president? No, I got it from speaking to Bill Taylor, who spoke to Tim Morrison, who heard it from Gordon Sondland. This triple hearsay, it's conjecture built on hearsay. It's ludicrous because assumptions and speculation are not evidence. They are junk. The only relevant and material facts are actually contained in the transcript of the phone call between Trump and Zelensky, together with the corroboration of Zelensky when he said there was no quid pro quo, no demand, no pressure, no conditions. Those are the unassailable facts, and you can put on a hundred opinion witnesses who are speculating, and it's not worth a tinker's damn. All right, so now that this has all started, um, and the funny thing is, why would they say or believe, I'll ask Jordan first, that I got a call from either Pompeo or, or people whose names I've never, ever heard of from the State Department when it never happened, and apparently they all think this call came to me and it never did? Well, I, I think, again, they, they, um, they're, they're kind of making up these stories in their head as they go about you know, being under attention. So whether it's, oh, they must have done this for me or on behalf of me, or, hey, they made a request to somebody. I mean, even how they phrased it was, you know, I made a request. I don't know if it was Pompeo himself or some other person connected to Pompeo. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, connected to Pompeo. Is that someone necessarily inside the State Department or just someone who knows Mike Pompeo? And they, they called Sean Hannity. It's, it's, again, these are distraction points because they either have nothing to add, like, like Greg said. These people literally have uh, – we all learned more about this call than they ever knew about it um, the day that we all got the transcript. I mean, they learned about it, too, that day, more than they ever knew about it, because before then, it was all just based off conversations they had with other people and uh, those people who talked to somebody who was actually on the call. And I think it is worth pointing out yet again that Adam Schiff, is, for the first week of public hearings, is not calling a single witness who was on that phone call. I mean, they've talked to people who were on the call, but why not call a single witness who was on the phone call. And it goes to your point, uh, Sean, and Greg's made the point. We've all made the point. These are all policy disputes. People who believe something or don't like the idea of something or it may be uh, perceived that way, and I don't like the fact I was cut out of the process or I overheard this. Did you hear that this was the new policy of the U.S. government? It shouldn't be. 
Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's just discussion. So they're going to go up there uh, with the Democrats and try and make this about disagreeing with the president's policy is somehow an impeachable offense. And, I, you know, I hope the Republicans remain very strong and ask the tough questions. They've got easy questions for Marie Ivanovich, and she finishes out the week. Why she lied, did she have the meetings, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think on these, uh, for these other officials, like, like, why is George Kent even there? The guy admits he was cut out of Ukrainian policy months before this call. He had All nothing right. to do. I mean, he was cut out of the whole process. So, yeah, he, he doesn't like that. But why is he a good witness? Uh, why is he someone that Adam Schiff wants? Because they want to hurt and damage the president and try and convince the American people, who I think will see through it pretty clearly, that somehow disagreeing with the policy vigorously even of the president of the United States is somehow uh, impeachable and trying to try and they're going to try to make that some gray area. All right, we got to take a break. 800-941-SHAWN, you want to be a part of the program. Uh, we're going to get into the whole impeachment aspect of this. I didn't think we'd spend that much time, but this is important stuff, um, especially now that I'm dragged into I, You know what, Linda, I get dragged into everything. I've never talked to anybody in Ukraine. I mean, look at me. I coughed all over you. I took your voice away. You just can't yeah, help it anymore. By the way, it's 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 a little better, you got to admit, than when we started. I it's think. in and out. It's, in, it's and out. in and out. Okay. All right, as we continue, uh, Jordan Seculo and Greg Jarrett are with us. All right, so we see the witch hunt. We see the, the lack of due process. We now have all read the transcript. How did we get to this point, Greg Jarrett? A whistleblower who was colluding with Adam Schiff uh, and now is hiding behind uh, a supposed anonymity buried somewhere in a statute that doesn't exist. Nowhere in the law is an intelligence community whistleblower entitled or guaranteed or promised anonymity. It's a myth. There is one narrow provision that gives discretion to the inspector general to disclose or not disclose, but that applies to nobody else. The whole whistleblower law is to prevent retaliation or reprisal, and name identification is not listed. What's listed are things like firing, demotion, transfer, some other job-related penalty. You don't get anonymity. But even if, let's say, for example, under exigent circumstances, somebody who's a whistleblower you know, gets anonymity, you have to first qualify as a whistleblower. This guy does not qualify. He did not meet the two conditions necessary to be a whistleblower and don't take my word for it. That's the conclusion of the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel and the Director of National Intelligence. Both said this guy does. Well, let's go through the go through the chain of command on that. Go, uh, go. I want you to go through that. The chain of command. Well, right. first the Inspector General looked at it, passed it along to the Acting Director of National Intelligence, and the DNI said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This guy doesn't qualify as a whistleblower. The complaint is not a whistleblower complaint." Referred it to the Department of Justice Legal Counsel, they looked at it and said, you're right, this isn't a whistleblower complaint. But everybody seems to overlook that. So this guy is not entitled to anonymity. He ought to be cross-examined. He's a fact witness about how he worked as an undercover informant for the CIA, acting as a Democratic operative who spied on Trump by gathering hearsay information intended to damage the president and then worked with Schiff and or his staff. To All right, I got to take a break. Pretext. 
Stay right there. More with Greg Jarrett, Jordan Seculo on the other side. Uh, we have our pollsters, uh, Matt Towery, John McLaughlin coming up also. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. First of all, who's ever heard of a whistleblower who is someone who's backed by the establishment? You know, normally you have a whistleblower who's challenging the establishment, challenging the system. You have the entire establishment, the media, the Democrat Party, part of the Republican Party in the Senate, backing a whistleblower. I've really never seen anything like this. It's really bizarre. The reason you have whistleblower protections is because the whistleblower is going against the system. In this case, we have the president going against the system and the whistleblower going against the president of the United States. I want to explain to the American people in a way that even Joe Scarborough can understand what the law is here, because you're hearing a lot of lies from Schiff and the Democrats and these phony legal analysts. The whistleblower statute does not apply to the president of the United States, does not apply to conversations the president of the United States has with leaders of other countries, and it does not apply to foreign policy. So the whistleblower statute does not apply to the president or this phone call. Number one, I hope Richard Burr is listening, the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, which really is not a very intelligent committee. Number two, the so-called whistleblower does not have statutory protection. He doesn't meet the statutory elements. He was not an official who reports on intelligence activities within the purview of the director of national intelligence. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. We'll get to your calls here in a second as my voice now is like in and out like a ugh, unbelievable. Um, all right, Greg Jarrett, Jordan Seculo with us. So where do you see Jordan Seculo this going? I, I see this. One, I think next week could be a disaster for Democrats, even if they don't allow any of the Republican witnesses. I think, one, that's a huge – if they don't allow any of the Republican witnesses – or they like only allow one, I think that's going to be a real problem for them, that talking point to the American people. But two, these people that they have brought, that they're going to bring into the spotlight, who were in the shadows, even when they were doing their testimony in the basement of the Capitol, now we're going to have 100 cameras in their face, and suddenly I feel like you know their attacks on the president, their attacks on other prominent individuals, and policy, and Ukrainian leaders, and U.S. leaders, may be a lot a lot more toned down, if you will, when they've got all that spotlight on them. I mean, remember, they all were like, we must have Bob Mueller testify. We must have Bob Mueller testify. That worked out well for them. We must have Corin Lewandowski work, you know, testify. We've got to get him for obstruction. Uh, that worked out well for Jerry Nadler. So I think, though, where does it all go? Ultimately, if there is a trial in the Senate, and I'm not sure that there's going to be enough to even uh, uh, make that necessary, but if there is... This whistleblower will have to testify. They will no longer be anonymous. They will be in front of the American people. And their refusal to testify could be uh, a major legal issue that their uh, pretty incompetent attorneys will have to deal with. And I say that because the whistleblower's own attorney two days ago retweeted a tweet. So Mark Zed, and this guy is like a Twitter troll, but I'll slash uh, whistleblower attorney, uh, retweeted a tweet two days ago. And in that retweet, which goes out to all of his followers, it names the whistleblower, the same name that's going around everywhere that everyone has seen. And yet he sends a cease and desist letter to the White House last night saying that the president uh, needs to stop or they may bring legal action or at least the president will be morally responsible if anything happens. And yet this guy outed the whistleblower, his client, on his own. Yeah, I mean, that was the irony of that. I mean, I'm looking at the... Well, you know what I call him, Greg, the compromised, corrupt, 
coward, congenital liar because he lied to us for, you know, almost three straight years. Right. Well, you know, Adam Schiff and I go through in my new book, Witch Hunt, all of the lies he has spun. By the way, I want you to go through that because I want people to be reminded of this. And it is in your you do spend a lot of time in the new book on it. and And people need to get it. Well, Adam Schiff lied about Carter Page. He lied about Bruce Orr. He lied about the dossier. He lied about having evidence of collusion that he never had. And, of course, he lied to the American people when he opened his hearing uh, by, by giving a statement that Trump never said. And, and now we know he's lied about contacts with the whistleblower. You know, if Democrats were ever serious about impeachment, the last person they want at the helm is a liar uh, like Adam Schiff. And, you know, I, here's what's going to happen. Um, Democrats will probably vote to impeach in the House, and then Republicans should make a motion to dismiss. There is precedent for it. Bill Clinton did it. Uh, it didn't work in his case because there were 11 criminal offenses uh, against him identified by Ken Starr. Here, there is absolutely zero. Uh, the Department of Justice already said there's no crime in that telephone call. Uh, and so a motion to dismiss should be presented. A simple majority would pass it, and there would be no trial whatsoever. There should never be a trial. Well, we'll see what happens. We're watching very closely. Uh, Jordan Seculo and Greg Jarrett, great job, both of you. Uh, Thanks, appreciate you being with us. Eight hundred. We're going to hit the phones here. My voice holds up. We have Jeff in Brooklyn, New York. Jeff, how are you? Hey, how are you? I'm just, I'm, I just put a Ricola in my throat, so I'm doing better. Here we go. Ricola. Ricola. <laughs> That's right, John. All right, thanks for taking my call, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank um, you. I called in because uh, uh, I'm a Bernie supporter, uh, but I have lots of friends on the right, and uh, I've been you know, following politics for a long time. And have followed your show before, and you've had some guys that I admire on the show to to talk with you that are uh, on the other side, so to speak, like uh, Dr. Cornell West. So I appreciate that. Um, And someone called in the other day, and the conversation sort of devolved really quickly. I believe it was like a veteran who was sort of down on his luck, and he called in to talk about health care. And I don't know, it got kind of emotional really quickly, and there was no... No, right. no talking about the facts of the healthcare situation in America. So forgetting all of that, you know, knowing that there's just a lot of pain and stress out there, I wanted to discuss why I believe that Medicare for all is really the way forward for the country. Look, just do the simple math. We'll use Elizabeth Warren's number of, what is it, 52 million. I'm sorry, 52 trillion. Um, we take in 4 trillion a year. Now, What's the track record of government interference in health care? Keep your doctor plan, save money on average, $2,500 per year per family. Okay, that became millions losing their doctors, millions losing their plans, and we're paying 174% more on average. And 37% of the country only has one health care option in their, their Obamacare exchange. So... Why would we and and then the other health care example would be the VA. You know, we we didn't take care of our vets. I know we're fixing it, but the fact that it ever happened is unconscionable to me. 
So they don't I'm, have a good I'm track record. You there, one hundred percent. You know, yep, well, it's it, it's like the DMV. I mean, there you go. There's your government. There's nobody that I know that likes the DMV. Here, here you go, though. With the VA, you're right. We are improving because under Senator Bernie Sanders' leadership, he's getting bills passed that are getting the mo- that's getting money and resources to the VA that we most desperately need. And like he tell said, me how not, we're going to pay for ready, it. If you're not ready to send your, our kids to war to die and come home wounded I, in body I, but, and spirit, all right, hang on. Then, well, I, well, one at a time. Tell me how you're going to pay for it. And why do you have faith in your government after the Obamacare debacle? Why do you have faith in your government with the VA hospital debacle? Why do you get and how do you pay for it when we only take in four trillion a year? Well, here's the thing. Like you said, we're already paying for it and we're paying for it astronomically right now. OK, and you're not answering. No, no, no. You're not. Answer, you're not answering my question, because the bottom line is, as a Bernie supporter, you're okay with empowering your government to take other people's money to, and spread it around, right? That's what socialism is. It's about efficiency, right? Like right now, uh, yeah, no, no, no. You get, sector, listen, listen, hey, listen, Jeff, Jeff, you Jeff. What? No, if you don't track with me and have a conversation, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm asking you. You want to empower the government to take other people's money, and I want to ask you how much do you think is is the right amount of every dollar somebody makes. How much of that dollar can they keep for themselves and how much should go to state, local, all federal government, whatever they need to pay taxes on? How much of a dollar should an American be able to keep? No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Taxation is not going to work that way. You're taxed based upon a certain bracket. And the right okay, now, you're not, the you're not why, answering. So, the reason why there are these inefficiencies, let me just tell you, and, and why the health care costs are so The bottom up, 50% of wage earners pay nothing. 10% pays nearly 80%. And how much of that 10%'s money do you think the government should be empowered to take? It's, it, look, it's, it's, it's a uh, no, no, no. Answer. Let's just, just talk about. Let's all right, Jeff, if you Jeff, inefficiencies of the system. Jeff, he can't even let's talk. Let's Give the guy a break. Jeff, let him finish the answer sentence. Answer the question. Answer it. You get a point out. What is, what is right. this is the problem? The problem is you can't. Uh, Jeff, no. I'm going to give you one last shot. That 10% that pays 80% of the bill, how much of every dollar should they be able to take, should they be able to keep for themselves, and how much should the government get? Answer the question, or I'm saying goodbye. That, that question is not applicable to the situation. Okay, bye-bye. All right, as we continue, let's head right back to our busy phones. All right, Carrie is in uh, Pittsburgh, PA. Carrie, how are you? Uh, glad you called. By the way, I hear Pittsburgh is coming back in a big way, and I'm not talking about the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> yes, hi, Sean. Uh, so glad to be with you. Yes, Pittsburgh is coming back. I was gone for 16 years, and I can't believe the change uh, in Pittsburgh. It's, it's a great city. Weather's not so great, but it's a, it's a wonderful town. But anyway, um, thank you for, first of all, I want to tell you that um, thank you for all you do. I watch you every night, and, you, you know, your, your passion for getting the truth out is just, it's, it's amazing. So I wanted to say thank you. Um, I'll get to the point. So last night I was watching Laura Ingram, and she had, uh, Ed Henry was on, and uh, he had a little bit of, not scoop, but um, he, he was saying that Mitch McConnell has advice for Trump if he wants to survive a Senate trial. Number one, 
is to talk to Lisa Murkowski about her energy plan instead of talking about Ukraine. And number two is stop attacking Republican senators, uh, sort of, you know, like Mitt Romney. So my, my question, maybe you could clarify this. So, so basically he's, he's being told to sort of suck up to these uh, Republican senators to, to avoid, um, not avoid, but to survive a Senate trial. Can you clarify a little bit about that? I'm kind of confused. It's, it's, it's kind of contradictory to, you know, Lindsey Graham. And you, you have Lindsey Graham on a lot, and he always says, look, I'm not even going to entertain this. It's a sham. But, you know, Mitch McConnell is saying these, these senators are going to take this very seriously, so, you know, you, you kind of need to be nice and, and boost their ego a bit. Can you, can you just elaborate on that? Or Yeah, look, um... Because the process in the House is corrupt and there's no due process, I think that that gives Senate Republicans a quick out. Uh, Mark Levin has explained this probably better than anybody, is that the parliamentarian can say, okay, we vote to dismiss. They will say, well, you need 67 votes, but then they only need a simple majority to overrule the parliamentarian. So... That would be one way out. And I think that the Senate ought to have a, a slogan, no due process, and your impeachment is dead on arrival in the Senate because, you know, the idea that you've got a compromised, corrupt, congenital liar running a sham hearing and not allowing Republicans and the president's lawyers access the way they need it, I think is a bad thing and a bad precedent. So they have their way out if they want it. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I hope they do want it, because to put Americans through yet another, you know, another trial, and then I think he mentioned something like, although he was talking about Mitch McConnell's strategy, and that um, these senators that are actually running for president, it would bog them down, you know, and something like Pete Buttigieg would be the only one out there, you know, being able to campaign. So he was talking about sort of a strategy with Mitch McConnell. Um, I had one other question, and I'll be real quick. Uh, we talk about Barr, we talk about the Durham investigation and the Horowitz and all that. Does, do you have any sources about John Huber? Uh, everybody wants to know I have no about... idea. I mean, the guy disappeared, okay. and he's been MIA forever. I have no idea where he okay. is. Okay. Yeah, that was my one question, because I know, you know, Barr had said that he was the one that he, he had, the Clinton investigation was winding down. He had an interview, and I can't remember who it was with, and my ears popped up. I'm like, What? And it was winding down, and this was a couple months ago, and then nobody talked about it. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, look, he's supposed to look into leaking. Oh, <clears throat> are we going to get that report? I don't know. I hope so. I really do. I mean, my date that I'm hearing now on Horowitz is the 18th, and I hope it's the 18th. I hope we get this thing because we don't. You know, it's getting to the point where I'm. I'm. I am so angry. You know, we were supposed to have this back in May, and we never got it. It's unbelievable. You know, the guy's got 600 guys working for him. And I'm like, well, what do these people do every day? You know, we've got to crank out four hours on air every day and we're killing ourselves to do it. We love to do it. We're thankful that you give us this opportunity every day to do it. But I mean, come on. It's like 600 people. We have premeditated fraud with on a FISA court. All the evidence is there. The conclusion should be quick. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. You know, I've known Michael Bloomberg for a long time. If you go back early on, he had he said a lot of great things about Trump. But I know Michael, he became just a nothing. He was really a nothing. Uh, he's not going to do well, but I think he's going to hurt Biden, actually. 
but he doesn't have the magic to do well. Uh, little Michael will fail. He'll spend a lot of money. Uh, he's got some really big issues. He's got some personal problems, and he's got a lot of other problems. But I know Michael Bloomberg fairly well, not too well, fairly well, well enough. He will not do very well. And if he did, I'd be happy. There is nobody I'd rather run against than little Michael. That I can tell you. Here's the president talking about, well, little Michael maybe getting in the race. Um, when America finds out how crazy left wing this guy is and when they find out how anti-gun he is and when they find out that he wants to be the nanny caretaker of the world and regulate how much soda we can drink and how much salt we can consume uh, and that he's another Green New Deal nutcase, um, he's not going to go anywhere. He's a liberal New York City mayor. Uh, his claim to fame is that he followed through with the safety measures that were left to him by Rudy Giuliani. That's pretty much it. I mean, I have nothing bad to say. And he's boring as all get out. And he's not as smart as he thinks he is, in my opinion. Uh, anyway, here to go over what the prospects for him might be, we have uh, John McLaughlin and Matt Towery, our, our uh, official posters of the Sean Hannity show for this election season. Uh, all right, so... Michael Bloomberg jumps in the race. How does he do Matt Towery? Well, exactly the way you described it, Sean. I mean, he um, his big problem is that even if he were able to capture one of the early primary states, he then goes into these southern states where Biden's doing well because he's still getting African-American vote. Um, someone else would capture that vote if Biden gets out. I don't see Bloomberg being able to capture that vote. And... Um, absent some sort of miracle. The other problem he's running into is that even if he replaces Biden, as you look at the Democratic polling, and there's a whole set of new polls in the New York Times today, now whether they're worth anything, I don't know, but they're consistent in the sense that Biden still leads the pack. But the problem is Biden is always at around 30 percent and nipping at his heels and dividing the vote are usually Warren and Sanders. When you take Warren, Sanders, and everyone else who's left of center, and they start to fall out, and one of them stands, they're going to overwhelm either a Bloomberg or a Biden or anyone else. So we're really seeing this unfold about the way we expected. The, the, the suspected names are changing. We're saying now Warren and, and uh, uh, Sanders being the two most likely with Buttigieg sort of coming up, but he, he's got the same problem that Biden has. But in the end, I don't see Bloomberg going anywhere. I see this party drifting heavily to the left, and you're going to have a classic Nixon McGovern square off in November of next year. Your take, John McLaughlin. Well, at, at the end of October, we did our national survey and we asked the Democrat primary voters who they support. And granted, it's not a national primary, but Mike Bloomberg, who everybody knows is New York City mayor, et cetera, and they know from Bloomberg News and Bloomberg this and Bloomberg that, he only got 1% of the vote. And I think where you're missing it is the Democrat Party has moved so far left that they are not liberals anymore. They are socialists. And Bloomberg, they don't want to vote for him. They want to confiscate his wealth. So this guy is going to run, and he's going to try to buy the election. Now, his political operation is very good. In 05, we worked, we did some work for them as, when he was running as a Republican, as a mayor. And he's got smart people. Doug Schoen, you know, is a regular often on Fox News and on your show. Um, he's a smart guy. He's this pollster. And you have uh, some of the old Clintonites, uh, Howard Wolfson, some of those people there. But there's only so much By money. By the way. 
When I heard Howard yeah. Wolfson, who used to be Hillary's spokesman, working for Bloomberg, I'm like, that's pretty much everything you need to know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so to us, he looks very liberal. But let me tell you, in that party, he's out of touch with them. He is to their right. And they are going off and they are going into socialist territory. And, and he's not there. So uh, he's going to have a very hard time. I don't think there's any amount of money that he would not spend on a race to win. Do you agree with that? And maybe I'll ask John again because you know him better than Matt. No, he spent, 40, he spent $80 million the first time he ran for mayor. And he's he's capable of spending four or five hundred million dollars to run for president. So uh, um, you know he's going to spend that kind of money. But what are you going to do in Iowa when they really want you know Elizabeth Warren's ahead, Bernie Sanders is second, Joe Biden's in fourth. Well, let's um, go through the primary them. states. All right, so you're starting in an Iowa caucus. You have a New Hampshire primary. Then we go to South Carolina. Well, when does Bloomberg win a state here? If he got you know if he gets in the primary. Um, from, he would have to try to win California while New Hampshire and uh, uh, Iowa are voting. Because what people are missing is California moved up to Super Tuesday. It's very expensive and all that type of stuff. But they vote by mail in February for the March 3rd election. So there, the kind of money he could spend, or even, you know, the guy who's spending money right now in terms of millions of dollars is Tom Steyer. He's at 2% in the polls nationally. So you're going to have two mega billionaires who are both anti-Trump, spending tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, it just doesn't matter at some point. So you know the state of Georgia, you know the state of Florida, you know the entire South. Um, where do you, Matt Towery, see Bloomberg jumping in here, having an opportunity to get a win? What state? Well, he could potentially do well in Florida. I'm not saying you could win it. There, uh, you know, it's, it's no secret that the eastern uh, side of Florida has a high New York population uh, that that drifts down in retirement. Uh, so I'm not I'm not saying that he couldn't perform well in, in one of these states, um, and I think Florida would be one of the ones where he might might have a chance, particularly with that kind of money. We got to remember, uh, you know, when Newt Gingrich was running in 2012, he won South Carolina. Of course, this is a Republican primary. He came down to Florida, and Mitt Romney just buried him in money. It wasn't that Gingrich didn't have the right message. He was beating Romney on his message. He just didn't have any money to fight the attack ads, and the attack ads play a role in, on both parties. So I'm not ruling out a Bloomberg victory somewhere. I'm just saying I agree basically with, with what John is saying, and that is that Democratic Party in general is, lip, is moving so far to the left, one of two things will happen. Either he will be out of that mainstream, which is now extremely left, or he will start moving to the left as well, just like everyone else has seemed to do to try to, 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 to get that vote. So either way, it's not a winning combination for any of these guys. I do think that Biden is hurt by Bloomberg entering the race. The other person who's hurt is Buttigieg, who was, who was, who was picking up some seed, but he's, of course, supposed to be, quote, in the middle as well. Now, what happens to a, uh, a mayor of a, of a city in, in the Midwest uh, running against a billionaire when you're both trying to claim the middle from a vice president who's falling apart. I don't think that's a good scenario. Yeah. Look, how does it, let's say somehow he pulled the nomination out of a hat, which I don't think he, he could do, but I guess anything's possible. I think everything's fluid right now. Where's the matchup with Trump? Where does that go? Trump John? wins. I mean, that, but, the, but the other part is, I will bet you that before Bloomberg 
uh, goes too far in this process because he's got to collapse Biden first. He's got to own the moderate thing. He's not going to collapse Buttigieg. Buttigieg has some stuff going from with millennial voters that, that Bloomberg doesn't. But the other part is he, he will consider pulling out and running as an independent first. And the question is, does he hate Trump badly enough that he would actually try to help Elizabeth Warren? or help Bernie Sanders. I mean, he's, he's going to become the defender of capitalism inside the Democratic Party, in a party that's going off and becoming socialist. So he's got a very difficult position. I don't think, I don't think he stays in the Democratic primary as compared to weighing an independent run. But then if he runs, it only helps Trump win. So his, his, sooner or later, on the issues, he should be with Trump. But Trump will, Trump will crush him because he's going too far left. I just don't know. Um, you go to Wisconsin, even you go to Minnesota, even you go to Pennsylvania for sure. Um, when they see how anti Second Amendment this guy is, uh, is that a game changer, Matt Towery? Yes, it is. And here's here's the thing. I, again, John's John's spot on. If the guy ran as a as a third party independent, he could do some damage. There's no doubt about it. Would it be enough to cost the election? No, because he is. We're looking at, at a political spectrum where you have to be really crazy left wing to be considered even part of, of the Democratic establishment, these, or at least what is going to become the Democratic establishment. So he's going to be on the fringe of that. And I think what we're going to see, uh, guys, is you're going to see him drift further over on some of these issues. This next, if he's a part of a debate, he's not going to be able to sit over there and just be the champion of capitalism without giving something or he knows he's not going to get anything in the polls and he's not going to get anything in the ballot box. So he's, right, so he's going to say, well, I'm worth billions. I'm willing to give a wealth tax, blah, blah, blah. He'd right. say that, right? Right. And when that starts, that starts to happen, his viability as an independent candidate, you can cut into Trump. Let's say, let's use the suburbs as an example. You know, everybody says, oh, the suburbs are the big problem for Trump. It's going to be a disaster. When you take a candidate who takes, has some of these positions that even a Bloomberg has, much less Warren, those suburbs, when people vote their pocketbooks, they, they also vote their self-image. In a lot of ways, that's where they're not really comfortable with Trump right now because they don't think that he is the image that they want. Well, they'll be loving that image by the time you get to Election Day, and they're realizing the effect it will have on them being able to live the self-image that they have. And that's, that's where people part and the paycheck becomes the more important part and what's in their pocket. Now, I think that's where Bloomberg starts to fall apart. It's now been 25 years since the contract with America. Why wouldn't Republicans rally around an agenda, basically the, the, the president's agenda, and nationalize the election with, you know, a contract with America, promises to America, call it whatever you want, and, and really dig down deep on, on energy, on border security, on health care, on lower taxes, on conservative justices. Um, I've, I've never understood why nobody has gone back to that, John McLaughlin. Well, by the way, they were headed in that direction with the with the Mueller report and the Russian collusion fiction in the in the rear view mirror. The Republicans were headed in that direction. They were going to pass the, the new North American trade deal. They were going to pass uh, uh, new, new health care uh, things and things to lower drug prices, things to improve health uh, care. And what happened? The Democrats come out with the whistleblower. They find a new way for the media to wipe that out because the Democrats 
don't want to run on issues. They see Biden collapsing, and they know their agenda of open borders, health care for illegal immigrants. I mean, all that kind of stuff is so out of touch with the mainstream in America. So, so what they did was try to obliterate it so that they don't have to address issues. Now, the media is on their side, but I tell you what, the one group that should reject that totally, the U.S. Senate, the Republican majority in the U.S. Senate, if they want to survive, they should kill this impeachment now because there's no due process. It's not fair. And then, you know what? They should say, guess what? We're going to vote next week on the, on the new treaty with Mexico and uh, uh, Canada to protect uh, jobs. We're going to vote on this to lower drug prices. We're going to vote on this to improve health care. And if the Republicans did that in the Senate, they would, they would set the whole tempo for the election and they would get reelected and we'd probably win the House, too. So for a Republican to win the presidency... It's always you got to thread the needle. You, you start out the race without New York, New Jersey, Illinois, and California. Usually no shot whatsoever. So a Republican has to win because Virginia's kind of gone now because of all the D.C. swamp people moving into northern Virginia. So now you got you got to win North Carolina. You got to win Ohio, obviously. Florida, obviously. Then you got to win and pick off Michigan or Wisconsin, both, Pennsylvania, you know, we could look at a state like Minnesota, maybe Arizona. Then you've got Nevada. Then you got New Hampshire. But it's always tough for a Republican, Matt Towery. Yeah, it is always tough. I want to make a real quick comment first about this impeachment stuff. Um, I've thought about it over and over again. Of course, I've been more the pessimist. I said, I think they're going to try to drag this out. Now, they say now they're going to vote Christmas time. But before, when we talked about it before, it was going to be Thanksgiving. I think the Senate, uh, John, to your point, ought to also set a deadline and say we're not taking up anything past X date because at some point this becomes ridiculous. We're in the middle of selecting a new president, and they want to throw the current one out, which just becomes crazy at some point. But that's just an observation. As far as the individual states, Sean, it becomes very difficult, but it's not impossible. And I think what's going to change the dynamic here is once impeachment is out of the way because the president is going to be found completely innocent if they have a trial – or if they drop it, it'll never take place. We're going to move on to other issues. In the end, the difference is going to be so stark that you're going to see states in right, play we have that 20... you've not seen in play in years. I'll let John see what he is saying. All right, you get the last 20 the, seconds, John. The Trump campaign, we're going to broaden the map, and we're going to win more states than we did last time. Because this president, against whatever Democrat they put up, is going to be a loser because their agenda is a loser for America. So, uh, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Irish, so I, my, my attitude is act like we're behind in the fourth quarter and it's the two-minute drill. That's how I think everyone has to treat this because there's so much at stake. Uh, all right, John McLaughlin and uh, Matt Towery, uh, when we come back, my... My good friend Andy Pujol from uh, Building Homes for Heroes is going to be with us, and we'll get back to the phones if my voice can hold up straight ahead. I paid over $10 billion in taxes. I paid more uh, than anyone in taxes. Uh, But I'm glad to have paid, you know, if I'd had to pay $20 billion, it's fine. Uh, But, you know, when you say I should pay $100 billion, okay, then I'm starting to do a little math about uh, what I have left over. Sorry, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, so you really want the incentive system to be there, and you can go a long ways without threatening that. Have you ever talked to Elizabeth Warren about anything before? I've not. Would you? Would you want to? You know, I'm not sure how open-minded she is. Uh, uh, 
or that she'd even be willing to sit down with somebody, you know, who has uh, large amounts of money. Uh, okay, so let me make it complicated for you. You've been, um, I'll politely say, public about your misgivings about our current president. If Elizabeth Warren were the other candidate, what would you do? You know, I, I'm not going to, you know, make political declarations, but I do think no matter what policy uh, somebody has in mind, a professional approach uh, is even, as much as I disagree with some of the policy things that are out there, I do think a professional approach to the office, whoever I decide would have the more professional approach in the current situation probably will weigh, is the thing that I'll weigh the most. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I hope the more professional candidate is an electable candidate. All right, that was uh, Bill Gates. What does that <clears throat> What does that mean? Except that he doesn't want to vote for Elizabeth Warren, right? Um, <clears throat> pretty. Oh, God bless you, Sean. Is this what happens when you yell at liberals all night long trying to get the fake uh, news? Straight? Honestly, I mean, the voice has been slipping now for like two days, and it's getting worse. Let me tell worse. you what it is. Are you ready? I already told you this at the beginning of the program. What? The Lord is telling you to take a break. Oh, is that Jesus is talking to me by taking my voice away? The baby G has spoken. He'd like you to that, be quiet. That would be, that would be the baby J. First of all, it doesn't sound good to say the baby J. Baby Jesus, baby G. <clears throat> well, baby J just sounds on the like air a rapper. A That's thing. weird. I don't, I don't like that at all. All right, all right. Well, smarty pants. Uh, let's go to Tracy in Arizona. Tracy, hi, how are you? Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Fine. Uh, fine, Mr. Hannity. You know what? I've listened to you since you were with Hannity and Combs. And personally, I didn't like you at first. But really? Why? Uh, right. Um, because I just thought, I don't know. I just thought, like, I like Combs because you guys would go back out at Fort when I was a Democrat. So that's why I went to Combs. But in 2015, I was a Democrat since I was 18 years old. I'm 50 years old. And 2016, I changed parties and I voted for Donald Trump because of you. All wow. because... Do you remember when you used to hate my guts? Um, do you remember why? Because um, I, I was a Democrat and it was I didn't want to listen to your facts. And that's basically what it was. But now that you were saying facts now, I've searched out what you've been saying. Instead of going out what somebody says or what, what my family has said, I actually searched you out. I searched uh, what you were saying. And um, you were making more sense. You were telling the truth. I used to watch CNN. I used to watch the MNBC. I used to watch CNBC. I used to watch ABC, NBC, and get all those news. I stopped watching Fox, and I don't know why. Now, the last couple of years, I have. I turned back to them because I was just done with the rhetoric, and I'm totally sick and tired of how they're tr trashing Trump. He's our president. No matter if you don't like him or not, he's your president. And I just think they, they need to get over it. And a lot of my Democrat friends um, have turned from being Democrat and are going to vote in 2020 um, Republican and vote for Trump. A lot of the women here in Arizona that are fr my friends have want are going to vote for Donald Trump because of you. I'm just saying a lot of women you know, are voting look, for him because of you. You're very, very kind. Um, you really got to credit yourself because you've done your own reading, your own research. You know, it's very, I, I always love the line by Ben Franklin, uh, one when he says a monarch or a republic, a republic if you can keep it, but he also said the sting in any rebuke is the truth. <clears throat> There's been times in my life people tell me something about me that I know deep in my heart is true. 
And most of us have big fat egos, and my ego would not want to admit, yeah, you know, you're not as great as you think you are. And the reason it bothers you is because the truth kind of seeps through. You can't deny it. I also say that all good humor is rooted in the truth. I'm not asking for anybody to to take what I have to say and run with it. I, I urge people to do their own research. But I'll tell you this. is This is, in November, 361 days from now, a battle for the heart and soul of the country. Now, if we lose, God forbid, that doesn't mean the country's done. It means this is going to be a hell of a fight forever. Um, but I think, you know, look, Reagan warned us that you're only one generation away from extinction. So, you know, it's, it's every generation has their battle, has their conflict. And I will say this. I do think that many have separated themselves from even an ability to see or to hear objective truth, especially all things Donald Trump. And I think that it's it's very, it's, it's like a, a psychological phenomenon to me. You know, you can care about Russian election interference, but not Ukrainian foreign interference, or, you know, Trump-Russia collusion, but not Hillary collusion in a Russian dossier, or a DNC operative uh, colluding with Ukrainians. Uh, to me, that's hard. Anyway, uh, appreciate the call. Great call. Thank you for being with us. All right. As my uh, voice, I, I think actually yelling actually opened up my voice a hair. Um, Andy Pujola's with us. He is the CEO and founder of Building Homes for Heroes. Now, don't forget, Monday is Veterans Day, and they've got a great plan. Um, I've been honored to be to know Andy for many years now and just a small part of and 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 I like to donate to uh, building homes for heroes. Uh, they're just great people. They custom design these homes based on the injuries that our brave soldiers come back from war with. Uh, and as part of Veterans Day, they have an 1111 pledge, which is a nationwide effort to build 11 homes in 11 days. They want to do this every day of the year. Anyway, Andy, how are you, my friend? Hey, Sean. Hey, Don. It's good to hear your voice again. Uh, now, you've never taken a penny in 16 years, correct? 16 years. I volunteered, donated quite a bit of my own money, and, yep. um, you know, it's it's all just for a love of, uh, for, for me, God, country, flag, and freedom. And what's amazing about you is uh, I've now you've, you've brought many of these heroes into my television studio, and I've got to meet mm -hmm. many of them. How many homes have you guys been able to custom design and build for heroes that have these physical disabilities as a result of fighting and defending our freedoms. Uh, you know, we've expanded our program, Sean. We're, we're gifting homes from the ground up, and these are for the most severely injured, and, and some of them, many of them you've met, some veterans like Hugo and others, Aaron, who are blind. So their design is a little bit different. Sometimes we'll take a foreclosed home and completely gut the entire home. And Every once in a while, we come across homes where, like in Huntington, Long Island, United States Marine Corps captain, he wanted to be at his home. So we gutted the entire um, foundation, uh, first floor, and made it all handicap accessible. He lost both legs all the way up to his hips. 
And then we built an addition, too. So we had a bedroom that you could relax in and a bathroom that's beautiful. So we gift and modify, but those modifications are extreme. And so we're at 225 homes now, but we're on record for 30 to 40 homes a year. And, and if I may, Sean, if I may just for a moment, I just want to say that, you know, to all your amazing listeners, um, you you and Ainsley were always there for us and uh now you've helped launch Building Homes for Heroes to the level we're at today, which is really amazing. And your name and legacy will always be on well, so This, this is not about me. Many accomplishments. You're, you're doing this full time, and the work you've done is amazing and inspiring. Um, yeah, it's really simple you. what you're asking. So it's Veterans Day. It's November 11th, 11-11, on Monday. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're asking people to pledge to donate 11 bucks or more. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you want them to go to the Building Homes for Heroes website or the take the eleven eleven pledge dot com website, but either way, a hundred percent of the proceeds go directly to vets. There's 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 no administration costs at all. No administration costs at all. One hundred percent of the funds. We've been operating at a ninety three percent program rating or higher for eight consecutive years, and that goes along with me never taking a single penny. Um, but. So 100% of these funds, especially with you involved, will all go towards construction of homes for our injured veterans. And it will have a meaningful impact that, that, you know, you have my word. And 16 years of doing this for not a single penny, I think my word's good. Um, And how can people, what's the best way for them to get a hold of your organization and donate for this, this particular Veterans Day? You know, follow us on social media. I mean, there's so much to see and learn and hear every single day. But please go to our website, buildinghomesforheroes.org. Right up top, it says 20 reasons to support us. If you look at any six or seven reasons, there's no other organization in the country that's meeting the level of, of meaningful accomplishment that I believe we are. But look at all 20. But on that website, you'll be able to sign up. Um, you'll see that uh, John Force Racing, Brittany Force, others have taken the, the pledge. We're hoping that this grows every year. We're going to do this every year, Sean. I hope you, I hope and pray you stay with us, because because you know what we're seeing. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Learn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, um, I'm not going anywhere. You have dedicated your entire life to this. Uh, you've yeah, actually sure. allowed me to be a small part of it. And when you meet these guys, you know, I got to be honest. I mean, I guess like everybody else, I, I find myself whining, 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 tired, tired, tired. You know, Linda's shaking her head laughing. But, you know, look, everybody in life has issues. But then you meet these guys and they're blind or they have no legs or they're so severely debilitated or um, the disfigurement from the from the ravages of wars that they're fighting on our behalf and how hard that must be for them. And I really, you begin to feel like an idiot, at least I do, that I start mm-hmm. whining about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I know, you, you know what I mean? I mean, you're just sitting, I'm sitting there, you know what? I'd, I'd use other words to describe myself, but I wouldn't get away with it and be able to keep the job. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm right with you on that. You know, uh, when they come home, they're so badly, so tragically banged up. And, and I'm sorry for using that term. Um, I just see it and feel it every day. I've been at so many hospitals. And they're fight- when, when they come home, they're fighting to survive again. And 
And what we're trying to do is help them thrive, and we're seeing it. Again, if you go to the website, Building Homes for Heroes, we're helping them find jobs. We're helping them with entrepreneurial spirit. We're bringing them to family fun events. We've only had five divorces with 225 homes. Somebody needs to recognize that and write a paper. We've had one suicide, and it broke our hearts, and we've joined together with other um, organizations to help more with um, just supporting the psychological uh, struggle that many of them are feeling and, and trying to find and see first signs. It's just so much that we're doing, but there's so much more we can do with with. Uh, well, I want people help. to go to your we website, your help, but, uh, buildinghomesforheroes.com. Look, I'll make it easy. You can go to Hannity.com. It's prominently displayed. Um, it's This is what we're looking for. $11 for eleven eleven. That's if you can give 11 bucks, if you can give more, great. We're only asking for 11 And as many people as can give would be great. Uh, Andy, you're a hero of mine. I love all the people that you've introduced me to over the years. Uh, God bless your work and what you're doing, and your selflessness is inspiring. And uh, thank you, my friend, for all you do. Uh, thank you, Sean. And, uh, you know, for me and so many, uh, we love you and, and thank you. And uh, I've been with you since 9-11, and... Uh, um, you know, I was in there in the search and uh, sacrifice, and I, I got down on my knees and prayed one day, and I, 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 I thank the Lord for the people I've found like you and your listeners and, and hundreds and thousands of others. Thank you, Sean. Andy, thank you. 11 bucks, 11 11 You know, it's on Hannity.com, and when you meet these guys, they so deserve our help. If everybody in this audience gave 11 bucks, it would be massive. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue. I barely made it. The show's almost over. Straight ahead. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Uh, you know, with all of this madness happening, the one thing I didn't talk about today that I should have is why are the Democrats trying to expedite this so quickly? Why do they want this done so fast? Why are they even willing to forego witnesses so fast? Because, number one, they likely believe they're going to lose in court if they challenge um, executive privilege. Anyway, we'll have a lot more on Monday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Um, And, yes, we will be back, hopefully, with a voice better Monday.